Well, again, good morning to you this morning. Um, so happy to be here. Can you even believe it's January? I can't. <laughs> I can't believe it's January. Um, special welcome to those of you who are joining us new, new members of the Northwestern community here at the semester break. Um, we're happy you have uh, joined us here for this community. Well, Vance Pittman, author, in his book, Unburdened, he tells this story about U.S. Olympic athlete Matt Emmons. In the 2004 Olympic Games, Emmons represented the United States in the three-position, 50-meter rifle event, and he was dominating the competition as he advanced to the final shot of his signature event. His combined score was so far ahead of the other shooters that all he had to do was hit the target. I don't mean that he had to hit the bullseye, he just had to hit anywhere on the target to secure a victory. And in preparation for the shot, Emmons pressed his cheek against the rifle's stock and sighted down the barrel through the scope. He took a breath, let it out, and squeezed the trigger. The sound of the gun firing was unmistakable, but what happened next was shocking. When you watch the sport of rifle shooting, a monitor focused on the target is always on one of the corners of the TV screen. And when a competitor takes a shot, that monitor almost immediately signals which part of the target was hit. And then a score is generated based on the quality of the, score, of the shot. And when Emmons lowered his weapon, he immediately looked to see where his bullet had struck the target. But there was no mark, and there was no score. Confused, he began talking with the judges, indicating he believed he'd hit the target. Why was there no score? Eventually, the, the lead judge picked up a microphone to explain. He announced that Emmons' score was zero because of a cross shot. The crowd gasped. Emmons lowered his head, obviously unable to believe what had happened. A cross shot is when a shooter hits a target that's not the one they're supposed to be aiming at. At some point while going through his pre-shot routine, Matt had zeroed in on the target next to his. His zero score not only cost him a gold medal, but it threw him out of medal contention completely. As Vance Pittman points out, Matt Emmons' story provides an important lesson for us, right? Always be sure you're aiming at the right target. In our life with God, it's somewhat easy to be aiming at the wrong target. And at best, this can, can limit our abundant life in Christ, but at worst, it can lead us away from Christ entirely. And this is even more dangerous because we think we're aiming at the right target. All our effort, our devotion, our attention, our time, our talent, our money, we think we're spending it all, we think we're investing it all on the right thing. And if we're missing the mark, we're wasting it on the wrong thing. And so this morning, I want us to, to, to think about um, what are some of the wrong targets that we can so easily be aiming at in our spiritual lives. We'll explore three of them this morning, and then we'll take a look at what's the right target. I think the first wrong target that's so easy to, to sort of focus on is blessing. Blessing from God. We see this um, in the Gospels. In, Mark, in John chapter 6 is a really vivid example. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. This amazing miracle. 
And the crowd started following Jesus around by this point. They wanted more. They saw what he could do, and they wanted more. We pick it up in John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what, will, what must we do uh, to do the good works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. So here we have this group of people. They, they, they were enamored by Jesus, but really, Jesus saw through that. He knew it was just because they wanted to, to see the show. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to receive the bread, receive food. And for us, I think um, seeking God's provision is a good thing. God wants to provide for us. And he's a good God, and he's a giver of good things. But, but if we're seeking God, and his if we're seeking his provision over himself, then it's a little out of line. And we're aiming at the wrong target. It can so easily become uh, us seeing God as, as sort of a, a vending machine. Our relationship with God is characterized by what we receive from him, by what we ask for from him. And there are cultural factors at play here, too, that make it even more difficult for us, right? I mean, this, this whole consumeristic world that we live in, um, this idea that, that consumption of stuff is always desirable and, and that a person's well-being is, is, is fundamentally dependent on obtaining material possessions, that's kind of the water we're swimming in these days. And in other words, more stuff equals better life. And we've projected that onto God and our relationship with him. And so it's so easy for our idea of God to really consist of, God, what can you do for me? What blessings can I receive from you? A second wrong target, I think, that so easily um, invades our spiritual life is, is information. Now again, information about God is, is a good thing, but it can become a wrong target. We see this in the Pharisees, right? I mean, they devoted their entire lives to studying the scriptures, this quest for knowledge, and this quest for correct interpretation uh, of the law. It, it, it's what drove them. They knew the scriptures, but they missed the living, the breathing word of God amongst them when he walked the earth. 
And for us, our, our knowledge about God can become, really, it can become an idol. It can become the wrong target in our lives. Our knowledge about God, our desire, our, our, our drive for correct doctrine, these are fine things. We should have correct doctrine, but is that the target we're aiming at? The pursuit, the goal of faith becomes so easily then an intellectual ascent. And there are certain cultural factors at play here too. I mean, since the Enlightenment, um, we're used to celebrating reason and knowledge, right? Reason, the power by which humans understand the universe and, and improve their own condition. In other words, more information equals better life. Again, I want to say it again. Information about God is good. But if we've elevated it to the ultimate thing, we're aiming at the wrong target. A third wrong target, activity, activity. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 15. This is a, the parable of the prodigal son. Not a new story, not, a, not an unfamiliar story for us probably, but let's take a look again at, at the, uh, the older son's reaction to his brother coming home and his father's response. Luke 15, starting at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came, came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That response from the Father, you are always with me, gives us a clue into what our true target should be. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we see here in the, in the older son this, this drive for obedience, doing the right thing. You can almost see that, that that's what he felt really justified him in the eyes of his father. And, and we too can get kind of caught up in aiming at that wrong target. Our obedience our activity for God, our ministry, our mission. These are good things, but they're not, they're not intended to be the target that we aim at. The valuing of achievement is, is very common in our world, in our culture. We live in a world that rewards achievement. Our, we believe our value is determined by, by what we do and what we achieve so often. And so we make striving for these things important in our lives. And in other words, more achievement equals better lives. So what's the right target? What should we be aiming at? What I want to say to you, it's, it's intimacy with Jesus. The story of Scripture tells, uh, tells, of, tells us of a God who always pursued his children 
and, and went to the, the greatest lengths to be with us. It should be no surprise that, that, that God's, redemptive, God's redemptive plan at the, at the beginning of the pinnacle moment, um, sending his son to be with us. Restoration, redemption, ultimately hasn't come through obedience to a list of rules or a set of principles to master. Redemption is not through receiving the blessings from God. It's not through gaining as much knowledge as you can about God. It's not doing the right things for God. It's through a person. A relationship with that person is what restores us. That's the right target. Pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And when we have intimacy with Jesus, all those other things become more properly aligned in our life. Blessing, for example, it takes its rightful place in our life. When we're, um, when we're pursuing intimacy with Christ, blessing become, becomes signposts pointing to God's goodness and love, not the object of our worship. Or information. When we're, tr- when we're pursuing true intimacy with the Father, knowledge about God is not the ultimate goal. And information becomes the means to a far better end. Activity. Activity becomes the overflow, the result of our intimacy with Christ. Our mission, our ministry, our doing, even doing on behalf of Christ, even doing things for Christ, it's all a result of our relationship with Jesus. Paul is a really good example of this, right? And we think of Paul, we, we, we look at Paul and we look at his life and, and we see um, a lot of activity for Jesus. You read the epistles and, and you see that Paul's life was characterized by his mission, his ministry. But we, but we, can, we can get a clue into what really was, was Paul's driving force. What was Paul aiming at? Was it that mission? Was it that ministry? I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. And, and here we have this heartfelt prayer for, for the followers of Christ, right? Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And he says in verse 16 and, and following, he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And catch, catch this. Then Christ will make his home, where? In your hearts, as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. In verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul says, may you experience, may you know Jesus. Paul understood that that his mission was not to be confused with his treasure. His communion with Christ took precedence over his work for Christ. And so this morning, I just want to ask you a couple questions. 
Because it can be easy. It can be easy to assume that, yeah, I've been a Christian for a lot of my life. Maybe that's true for most of you. And I've got this, I've got this nailed down. But I know for me, um, I think I lived a lot of my Christian life assuming that I had it right, assuming that I was aiming at the right target. And it wasn't until I took a real long, hard look and I asked myself, what is my treasure? What am I aiming at? And I, I didn't like the answer that I gave myself. I had to be honest with myself. It wasn't Jesus. I was wrapped up in the things I was doing for Jesus. I was wrapped up in seminary courses and learning about Jesus. What are you aiming at? What is your treasure? And I'm going to ask you a few questions that really, these are just meant to um, allow you to sort of self-assess. First question is this. Am I routinely frustrated with God when things don't turn out the way I think they should? If so, it could, could it be that, that you're placing too much emphasis on receiving from God? Maybe the blessings from God have become more important than, the, than closeness with God. Second question. Do I often find myself upset with or looking down on others when they don't have the correct understanding of a certain doctrine or theological idea? If so, could it be that you're placing too much emphasis on the intellectual pursuit of theological understanding? Maybe information about God has become more important than the pursuit of God himself. Third question. Do I often feel panicked that I haven't figured out what God wants me to do with my life? If that's you, could it be that you're placing too much emphasis on doing? Maybe activity for God has become more important than intimacy with him. So with those questions ringing in your ears and, and hopefully hitting your heart, I, I just want to leave us with, with a few final thoughts, kind of a benediction for us as we, as we move on to a time of, of another song and singing and, and, and reflection. Jesus, in his last moments, before the beginning of his suffering, right, you know this, in John 17, he prays for his followers and he, and he reveals to us his desire for us, and, he, and we see what's most important. When we look at John 17, verse 3, Jesus prays, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know is translated from the Greek, ginosko is the Greek word there, and that means to know, but it means to know through personal experience, to experientially know. That's Jesus' prayer for us, that we would know him, that we would know him. And so may we pursue intimacy with Jesus above all else. May we see God's blessings in our lives as evidence of his goodness. May we use information about God to, to bring us closer in a relationship with God. And as we live out our calling, please live out your calling. But as we do, 
Let's let our vocation, our mission, be a result of the deep communion that we share with with the Father and with Christ Jesus.